Okay, we're going to, I am going to read from John 12. If you want to go there with me, you can, or it'll, it'll be on the screen too. Um, this might not feel like a Christmas passage per se, uh, but I hope in our next um, hour and 15 minutes that I'm going to preach, just kidding, um, <laughs> in our next little while, uh, I can prove to you that I think this is very much a Christmas text. So uh, John 12, we'll start with verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge with all of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all of the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good job. Um, uh, so it, it, today we're going to use, as I said, this story of Mary anointing Jesus's uh, feet for burial in John chapter 12 to talk about Advent joy. Um, but first, I want to give you some context into the passage. Um, here we see that uh, John tells us that Jesus has come to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, this story may be familiar to you if you've been around the church for a while. Um, it's a story that's told in all four gospels. And um, not every story about Jesus is told in all four gospels. And so for me, when something takes place in all four of them, to me, it's like a, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it makes it more important or something. It just seems real. That's an interesting thing to me. So just so you know, it's in all four. Uh, when Matthew and Mark talk about this story, they, uh, John says it's at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. When Matthew and Mark talk about it, they say it's at the home of Simon. Um, and uh, so Mark specifically tells us that it's the home of Simon the leper. Uh, Bible scholars believe that Simon, that Matthew and Mark are talking about, is the father of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so I think in this story, the place really, really matters um, because this home has seen goodness and this home has seen miraculous. Um, in Matthew's account of this story, he says, he doesn't say the home of Simon the leper. He says uh, Simon who had previously had leprosy. I don't think anybody's showing up to the home of Simon. It's like Simon who has COVID currently. We're not, we're not going to Simon's house, right? Okay, so um, Matthew makes a, makes a point to say this is the home of Simon who had previously had leprosy. This happens at the home of Simon, who used to be the leper and now isn't. Uh, this happens where Jesus spoke into a tomb and Lazarus was dead and then he just stopped being dead. This is a home of great healing. It's a home of hope. And Mary in the story, she doesn't miss it. She doesn't miss the healing. She doesn't miss the hope. She delights in it. She takes great joy in it. Um, and I think this intimate moment 
It's hard for me to picture a more intimate moment than washing someone's feet with your hair. This intimate moment where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, this moment, I think, has so much to teach us about joy. Um, a side note here, Mary is one of my favorite examples to use um, to talk about why I believe women are allowed to be pastors. Uh, twice in the Gospels, we find Mary doing pastoral things or priestly things. In Luke chapter 10, we also see her sitting at Jesus' feet, but she's sitting as a disciple, as someone who learning from the rabbi. That's a very priestly act, a pastoral act. And then here we have her anointing a body for burial. Again, a priestly act. And both times someone comes to Jesus to tell on Mary for doing something she wasn't supposed to do. And both times Jesus says, no, I will not stop her. Uh, he says, I will not take it away. I won't take away what she's doing. I won't take away the joy of Mary in these priestly things. So that was just for free. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, go girls. Um, okay, but no, uh, back to the sermon. <laughs> uh, uh, this, so this spring, uh, COVID hit, and people were doing all sorts of cool things online. Did you all catch any of these? Like artists and uh, illustrators and authors were reading their stories for kids. People, uh, colleges were opening classes for free. Did anybody sign up for cool stuff? Only one person in the last service, too. Okay, so I uh, signed up for a class in the spring uh, at Yale, which sounds really cool. That's the main reason I signed up for it. <laughs> I can say I signed up for a class at Yale. And we don't, like, have to get into Yale. It was just free online. But it's this class. Um, it was a psychology class called The Science of Well-Being, and it's taught by Dr. Laurie Santos. Um, if you haven't heard from her, she is... She's so fascinating. She uh, is a psychology professor, again, at Yale, who specializes in happiness and cognition. Like these are being aware and joy. Those are her two specialties. Um, and so she was teaching this class. The, the embarrassing part of the story that I probably shouldn't say with a microphone attached to my face is that I didn't even end up taking the class because, you know, COVID. And I was very busy at home <laughs> alone doing that, you know, um, but I didn't take the class, but I did like come to very much enjoy Dr. Santos. And, and I, I've uh, since read so much that, that she's put out in the world. She has a podcast uh, called the happiness lab. If you're a podcaster, this one is fantastic, or you just want to have some joy. It's a great one. Um, she's really good. So if you read her writings um, or you listen to her podcast or you hear her in interviews, she has the same thing that she says over and over and over again in everything that she does. And she, um, based on all of her work and all of her research, she says this. She says, uh, one of the things that research shows is that the path to happiness is paved with gratitude. The path to happiness, the path to joy, it is paved with gratitude. She's a scientist. I have no idea if she has any religious affiliation whatsoever. Um, but what she says is that science shows us that the path to happiness is paved with gratitude. Uh, so as not a scientist uh, or even close to one, uh, but as a preacher, uh, that is interesting to me because the Bible says something really similar. Um, in the New Testament, the word that is used most often for joy is the Greek word kara, uh, kara, it, it means joy or gladness or um, the, really, honestly, the most accurate definition of kara would be uh, the source of joy or like the fullness of joy. Um, you know how like uh, uh, English words don't always have like the fullness of another language and that would be at this fullness of joy. That's what kara means. Uh, but this is super interesting to me. Kara, the Greek word, uh, comes from a root word, charis, 
or charis. Um, and, and the English translation of charis is translated in two ways most often. It's translated gratitude and grace. The source of the word for joy that the writers of the New Testament use has the implication of gratitude and grace. Using just the words, the path to joy is quite literally gratitude. In the whole New Testament, it's, it's gratitude. This is really important in our little mini study on joy today. The idea that at its most basic level, joy is birthed out of gratitude and birthed out of grace. I think for people of Jesus, that has such divine depth to it, right? Uh, I, I read somewhere that Stephen Colbert, who's the host of The Tonight Show, that he has um, a sign on his computer that says, joy is the most infallible sign of the existence of God. For Jesus followers, joy birthed from grace. It has divine depth. It's, it's, if the Tonight Show is saying it's the proof that God is real. It matters that we talk about it. It matters that we study it. Um, I, I think so many uh, Bible dictionaries, they define grace. In, it's so beautiful. Or divine joy, sorry. It's so beautiful. Uh, Bible dictionaries define joy as grace recognized. Isn't that beautiful? Grace recognized, grace acknowledged, gratitude and grace hand in hand are the definition of joy. I want to keep playing with words for a minute because I think it's fun. So bear with me. Um, if, thank you. <laughs> if joy is grace recognized, uh, then I think it's probably pretty important for us that we define grace. We talk about grace all the time as evangelicals, especially here at the Vineyard, we, we talk about it a lot. And I think um, sometimes we say things so much uh, that we don't define them. We just assume everybody knows what, what we're talking about. I do this all the time. And, and I've also been in a place where I'm like, I don't even know really what they're talking about. It's just this ethereal grace. Maybe that's love. I don't know. So here's my favorite definition of grace. This is what we'll work off of today because I have the microphone. Um, grace is God's unmerited favor toward human beings. Unmerited favor, grace, it is his one-way love, sacrificial love for sinful delight of God over me. But it is a gift with no strings attached. Grace is the delight of God over me that I didn't earn and can't earn no matter what. Grace is the answer to the question, what is God's stance toward a mess like me? Grace. What is God's stance toward us? Grace, unmerited favor and delight in us. And so if we define uh, grace as God's unmerited favor and love and delight toward us and if grace births joy, then the implications of that, of, of, of such a divine origin of joy, is massive. It's a huge deal. It means that joy isn't something we can just acquire on our own. It isn't something that we get from things or experiences or trying hard, performing, uh, just trying to do the right thing. It isn't something we can like conjure up within ourselves. We can't buy it or uh, arrange it or command it. Great. It means joy is divine. It means uh, the most pure form of joy comes from the delight of the divine, the delight of God toward us. Uh, I think Eugene Peterson says this brilliantly. Um, I've read this quote here before, and I will read it a lot because I think it's great. Uh, he says this. He says, we cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. But there is something we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God. 
We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos, which greedily grab. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy. What he's saying is when it comes to joy, it seems that we have a choice, that we have a choice to live in the abundance of God. We can decide to live in the gratitude of of a life of grace recognized with eyes to see grace all around us, even in the most unexpected places. This, This idea of living in response to the abundance of God, even in the most unpromising circumstances, this is why I think Mary anointing the feet of Jesus is such a good place for us to talk about Advent joy. Because if there's ever a moment in the scriptures of grace being recognized, it is this one. It's this one. Uh, Dallas Willard, he says that joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Here in this moment, we have Mary who has recognized the grace of her life. Mary who has recognized the grace and the health of her father and the breath of her brother, uh, many Bible scholars believe that this Mary is the same Mary that, that in other parts of the Gospels is called a, a sinful woman or a prostitute. She was delivered from demons by Jesus. Um, most Bible scholars believe this is the same uh, woman. Mary recognized the grace in her family and the grace in her own life. She recognized that she had been invited to a party by no means of her own. The real, that realization gave way to a sense of well-being that permeated her body and soul, a sense of well-being that turned into gratitude. And it's within this, um, this pervasive risk of well-being that she risks on behalf of grace uh, that she recognized and experienced in Jesus and offers him her perfume, her most valuable possession, I, I would guess. This is why what Mary's doing is an act of joy because we don't give up something so massive, something so expensive on our own volition unless we have that pervasive sense of well-being, right? We don't offer something like that unless uh, we're we're experiencing okayness and safety and well-being. That's when we um, would never look for costly things. I think uh, this is why my, I just thought of this. My husband would never let me, you remember on American Idol when they would ask you to give money to a charity and he was like, they're not okay. Someone's taking that money. You know, like we don't just give our money when we don't feel okay. We don't feel this well-being. And, and so I think it's um, incredibly important that we note that contrary to what Judas was probably, and probably others in the room were thinking, but Judas says it out loud, uh, this gift, it wasn't wasted. It was offered. It wasn't wasted, it was offered. Judas thinks it's a waste. He called it a waste, and Jesus, he calls it good. It was a gift of joy. Uh, I wanna paint one more word picture for you. So the word kara, right? Um, I told you that the Greek word uh, was more accurately translated the source of joy or the fullness of joy. Um, Really, if you read people trying to define the Greek, they give you a picture more than words, and I think pictures work even better. So this is it, this is kara. Kara is this, it is joy overflowing. That's the picture. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't it kind of look like a 12 ounce jar of perfume? That's where my mind goes. Kara, overflowing joy over the feet of Jesus and her hair wiping his feet. Uh, This woman had eyes to see the grace overflowing right in front of her. It's truly a beautiful story, and again, I would argue a very Christmas story. And my guess is that most of us, uh, we can appreciate the beauty and the hope of Mary in that moment. 
Um, I have this practice when I, when I read stories, especially stories in the gospel or stories about Jesus, um, and I try to imagine myself in the story. It's like an old Ignatian uh, practice called imaginative prayer. And, and, and you read the story, and then you try to picture it as if you're there. And so I did this as I was writing for today and, and preparing for today. And so I kept putting myself in the story, and I kept wanting to be Mary. Right, I want to be Mary. Want in this great act of joy. I didn't know if I wanted to wash anyone's feet with my hair, but like it's Jesus. You know, he probably had great smelling feet. But I, I'm like, I wanted to be Mary so so bad. But every time I did it, and I did it over and over and over and over again. Every single time I put myself in the story, the truth is, I was Judas. Every time, I was Judas standing off to the side with all the reasons why this was absurd standing off to the side with all of the reasons why not. There is this thing in me uh, that believes that a desire uh, for this kind of well-being, this kind of um, over-the-top celebration, this kind of joy and happiness is somehow wrong. Like as a Christian, it's somehow wrong. I've convinced myself and probably others, I really did, I wanted to go back and listen to every sermon I've preached on joy and be like, did I tell everybody that you're not supposed to be joyful, you're supposed to be thankful for like the low hum of joy that sits behind everything? Like I have convinced myself that dying to myself as a Christian means dying to the desire to have joy, dying to, to, to the desire of the type of joy that acts and risks and feels. Am I alone? I don't think so. I, okay, I want, you to, I want you to do something for me. I heard a, a preacher, I was listening in my car to a pastor doing this. I thought it was brilliant, so I'm stealing it. Um, close your eyes. I won't shoot Nerf guns at you while your eyes are closed. I will think about it, but I don't have a Nerf gun. Close your eyes. Okay, I want you to picture Jesus. Reminder, he is a first century Palestinian Jew. If he's blonde in your picture, maybe readjust. Jesus. Got him? Okay, open your eyes. Was he smiling? Was he smiling? I was I told you I was driving in the car when I listened to this pastor do this, and I did, I did it while I was at a red light, but still, um, I did it, and that, he got to that part, and he said, was he smiling? And I, oh, I wanted to throw up. It gutted me. It gutted me because when I pictured Jesus, he wasn't smiling, and I think it shows. I think it shows in my life. I think that for people who know me best, the truth is right now, Lindsay, December 2020 or end of November 2020, sees very often an unsmiling Jesus, and I think it shows. When we meditate on Jesus, uh, science has shown us that the neural pathways in our brain, they reorient themselves. They reorient themselves around whatever picture of Jesus we are picturing or meditating on. It's fascinating. Look, look that, Google that today. It's the coolest. But it does. It, we reorient, our brain reorients itself on whatever type of God we are meditating on for better or for worse. When we meditate on an unsmiling Jesus, it shows. It shows. And then the inverse is true. When we meditate on a Jesus whose grace is wild and makes no sense, when we meditate on a Jesus who was both acquainted with joy or acquainted with grief and the most joyful human to ever live, do you know that's true? 
the most joy. He, Jesus is, is the fullness of God in, in picture, in human form. God is joy. He's, the most, he's both acquainted with grief and sorrow and the most joyful man to ever live. Jesus, who can be both of those things at the exact same time when we meditate on that Jesus, our brains reset and they reorient themselves. Here's what I can tell you about Mary. It's not in the text. I may be making this up, but I think it's a safe assumption. Here's what I think about Mary. Mary did not break her perfume or use her hair to wipe the feet of a man she did not believe was smiling at her. That act, it wasn't forced. It wasn't even requested. And in no account of this does Jesus say, Mary, break that perfume on my feet and wipe them with your hair. He doesn't ask for it. She does it. She offers it. It is a, a willing and and clean and free gift. It was offered. Gratitude offered. Grace recognized joy and delight and the response to the joy and the delight that she had received from Jesus every time she laid eyes on him. Joy, it doesn't come from willpower. It comes from practice. We learn here from Mary that putting ourselves uh, at the feet of the most joyful person to ever live Results in joy. That's, that's what Mary did. We see it in the scriptures. It, it comes up multiple times. We can say Mary had a practice of sitting at the feet of the most joyful person to ever live. At the feet of Jesus, she poured her perfume um, all over, uh, her, her treasure all over his feet in an act of joy, an act of gratitude, an act of delight, even though she knew he was about to die. This wasn't at the beginning of things for Jesus. This is toward the end. Like it's the Passover meal. In eight days, Jesus is going to get arrested. And this is the day. And everyone seems to know. If it's anyway, that's stop her. She's anointing my feet for burial. She knows he's dying and she gives her gifts anyway. That's, that's bananas. Bono calls joy an act of defiance. I think that's true for Mary. I think it's true for Mary. She chose and practiced and risked and put herself in proximity uh, to joy, even though the circumstances were absolutely bonkers. What if the same was true for us? What if the same was true for us? What if joy could be our great act of defiance to the bonkers of 2020? What if our revolt to the dark of life right now as a Jesus follower was to instead put ourselves in proximity and practice to joy, of joy? What if instead of a willing submission to the slavery in our minds of fear and distrust and pain this Advent season, we instead chose to practice grace recognized even in the wildest places? Um, I'm not saying that there's nothing to be afraid of. And I'm not saying that everything is trustworthy in the world or that you shouldn't feel pain right now. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is that it is a good and right thing as a follower of Jesus to revolt against being defined by and enslaved by those things. Uh, I told Jess this earlier uh, that uh, we were talking about like 2021, is it gonna get better? I don't know if 2021 is gonna get better, but dear God, I have to. I have to. I, I can't be the same next year. I got one more quote um, by Frederick Buechner. It's not a sermon for me unless I quote Frederick Buechner, so um, I will. This is what he says. Joy is where the whole being is pointed in one direction, and it is something that by its nature a man never hoards but always wants to share. 
Joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes. We're gonna take a minute. We do this every week, a selah. Um, it's my second favorite thing that we do. Um, and, and here's what, this is the way I talk about Selah. I say that um, it's our invitation not to move on too quickly from this. And it's our invitation for a quiet minute. When do you ever get a quiet minute? So we're gonna do that. We're gonna take a minute and just let it be really quiet and just sit. I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to us. And so um, I'm just gonna let you sit for a minute and then I'm gonna read a, a blessing over you. So we'll just be quiet just for a minute. 